This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Help! All right, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center. And uh, we are uh, in Melbourne Law Studio. 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner in the Florida Gators. Melvin Law won't back down, and we're protected 24-7 by crime prevention. So worry less with crime prevention security packages. You can contact them today at cpss.net. And, uh, well, we're waiting to uh, hook up here with uh, Congressman uh, Kat Kamek. Um, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I may just be getting her by phone on audio. But, uh, you know, the uh, show must go on. So that's the way it works. Um, I want to talk to you just a little bit about some local things I can talk about for a moment as we um, we'll try, try to see if we can get this hooked up. But, um, uh, the, um, of course, the regional for the Gator baseball world are coming here. That's a big deal. It's a big deal to the restaurants and the hoteliers here. Um, a lot of the bed tax fuels a lot of the things that you take for granted here. And, and uh, that bed tax is called heads and beds. And there's a tax for every head that's in a bed. So that swells whenever we have a, a group of people come here, like we're going to have with the uh, um, regional NCAA baseball tournament. Uh, so um, that will be, of course, um, beginning, I think, Friday. Perhaps I've got my days a little bit mixed up here, but it's coming soon. Of course, the softball world will be out in Oklahoma. <clears throat> and... Uh, well, that's a place that is pretty well known for um, the pinnacle of softball with ladies softball. And it's, it's um, um, really quite an accomplishment for a team that this year had sort of marginal pitching, if you may say it euphemistically. And softball, you can go a long, long way with one really super great pitcher. Of course, there are not a lot of great, super great pitchers. So um, there are a lot of good pitchers, but super great pitchers are hard to come by. And they're, you know, kind of uh, everybody wants one, that kind of thing. And if you have one, you can go quite a ways. We've got some good young pitchers that seem to be rotating through the lineup quite wisely by uh, Tim Walton, who has figured out how to give them maybe three innings of time before they uh, get a little bit tired and lose their efficiency. So I think that's been one of the changes he's made that has been uh, instrumental in this uh, team doing more than perhaps people expected it to do since this year apparently doesn't have the super great picture. Okay. Hello. Have we, have got, have we got somebody on the phone here with us? Hey, it's representative Kat Kamak. How are you doing? I only have to take you at your word because I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. Man, Prove we're it. always on the road. It always seems to happen when we're on the road. <laughs> Prove it to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I got to ask you what's the hot news out of, you know, I'm just so, last time we talked, we were worried about 
of 42, and it looks like a judge has saved the Democrats from their own uh, noose. Um, you know, that's one place I remember we left off talking about how desperate that was. Um, of course, we've had some national situations here have grown a lot of, how shall I say, it, emotional reactions. Um, hopefully there are saner heads prevailing in your area of D.C. Well, you know, we have a couple of major issues going on right now that require immediate attention, you know, and right now I can tell you we're gearing up for one of the biggest battles in Washington, D.C. here in the next few weeks when it comes to gun control. And you know, the left, they, they never waste a crisis. You know, it's always an opportunity for them. And so in the name of Uvalde, they're going to go after no less than a dozen different pieces of gun control legislation. So we are, we are in the middle of getting ready for that fight. And unfortunately, we're already seeing some Republicans in the Senate cave. And to me, that is going to be the battle that really we have to face. Because once we give up these rights, we will never get them back. It is, it is virtually impossible to roll it back. And so we're, we're preparing for that. There is a bipartisan group in the Senate that they have already started meeting. Um, tomorrow, the Judiciary Committee under Chairman Nadler will be meeting and going through the 12 or so bills that Nancy Pelosi has introduced on gun control measures. And it's going to be quite the fight. I mean, it, it, it really is a tragedy what happened in Uvalde, but that tragedy should not result in a second tragedy, which is the complete undermining of our constitutional rights. Because we all know, and common sense tells us this, and we know that common sense isn't common in Washington, but we know that taking guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens does nothing but empower criminals. Criminals will create violence, do evil things with any weapon, any means necessary, and there's no law on the book that is going to change that. So we have got one heck of a fight on our hands, in addition to every other crisis that we're dealing with that is of Biden's creation, ranging from the border crisis to uh, continuing to get Americans out of Afghanistan. And of course, you can't go to the gas station or the, the grocery store without feeling the pain of this administration's decisions. So we got our hands full, Ward. Well, the two, the concurrent, uh, I don't know, uh, double think the ability to hold two conflicting ideas in your mind and believe them simultaneously. Defund the cops and yet uh, go after people with uh, concern about their safety. It makes no sense whatsoever. And yet that's the that's the. Uh, double think we've got going on in your area up there in D.C. I say your area, of course, it's uh, uh, bigger than that. I'm, I'm just uh, speaking. Oh, right. don't lump me in with those crazy people. <laughs> no, I know. I wouldn't dare do that. But I tell you, you've got to get on the elevator with them. I've been down your hall. My golly. But uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, and that cafeteria, is there any way to bring a lunch to your office and not have to go to that place? <laughs> 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 I'm pretty old school. We're, we're, we're in and out of the cafeteria if we ever make it there. So no, it's, it's, it is, it's, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, we saw last March, the, the move to defund police and, you know, you, I know you saw the video. I took my husband swap back to Washington, DC and, you know, really highlighted what exactly they were trying to do. They're taking equipment off of the backs of our first responders they're 
looking to gut these agencies. And of course, the thing that I find incredibly hypocritical is the fact that you have people like Cori Bush, who she has said repeatedly that she's going to work to defund police. It's going to happen no matter what. If there's nothing else that she does with her time in Washington, D.C., it's defunding the police. Keep in mind that she is the same person who has spent over $300,000, $300,000 of private security money because she needs to be protected, but apparently she doesn't believe that everyday citizens should have the same protection. And so the hypocrisy with the left, it never ends. And they will rationalize in their heads that they're doing this for something like the greater good. But that's the problem with the leftist thinking. They think that government is the answer to every problem. It's typically the problem, not the solution. And that's why we're there to be the voice of reason. And I tell you, we are gearing up for one fight that we have never really seen. And it is going to get nasty and it is going to be divisive. But I pray that we can, you know, have calmer heads prevail and, and have common sense prevail. Though I think that emotions are running so high that people will probably try to resort to name-calling and personal attacks rather than deal in truth and fact. Well, Jerry Nadler's involved in it all. It's not going to be much of anything but a circus. That guy is so disappointing. And uh, all that stuff about impeaching Trump, led by him and uh, um, his buddy there, um, who Rush used to call Pencil Neck, um, that's that's quite a crowd to have to you know rub elbows with on any any given day. Um, you know the other thing that's that's going on, of course, it's ironic, is this um, violence, unfortunately, in the school system there is so close to the open border. And I hate to say that there's never, as you said a moment ago, it's true, any good crisis can go to waste. It's just completely taken the eye off the fact that we've got so much crime going on coming across that border. Uh, it's no wonder people there are stunned and don't react to things. I mean, come on, they're living with this chaos every day. Am I correct? Or what? You've been there, I believe. Yeah. You know, sitting on Homeland Security, I have jurisdiction over the border. And of course, being in the minority, that's one of the most frustrating things is you can really only expose what's going on, but you don't have the numbers to actually change or enforce a policy. And so that's been really frustrating. But being on Homeland Security, I've been to the border four times. And I mean, the things that I've seen are horrific. They're the stuff that keeps you up at night. Everything from, you know, uh, a nine-year-old little girl that I met on my very first trip to the border. She had been picked up by Border Patrol agents, and um, she couldn't even tell me her name because her vocal cords had given out from screaming because she was being gang-raped by members of the cartel. This is a nine-year-old little girl. Um, and this story is not unique. It is actually really very common when you see what so many of these kids are being put through and, and they're being used as pawns. Keep in mind that this is big business for the cartels and violence is really their means of enforcement and getting things done. So when you talk to the kids that are being trafficked or recycled, recycling is when you have a kid under the age of six and they get sold to the cartels by their parents. They are then loaned out to uh, a single adult because the policy in the United States, 
at the border right now is if a individual with a child under the age of six comes to the border, they will get released into the United States with a five-year court date. That is called recycling because then once the kid and that, that stranger get across the border, then that kid gets put on a plane, sent back to Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, and then they make that treacherous journey again. And these kids are abused the whole way. Um, I could tell you story after story about how awful it is, but you have that situation with those kids getting abused, the violence, the drugs that are being peddled across. So many of these people are bringing drugs on their body in their bags. And the most asinine thing that I've seen uh, of when they get up to a checkpoint, they'll approach a border patrol agent or a, a national guardsman and they have stand down orders that they cannot search their bags. How many dirty bombs? How many, how many millions of, oh no, they are not allowed to search their bags. Why? It is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I mean, I, I'm telling you there, there is, when you go down there, you, you, I feel revert to old Testament. I mean, it is like, you want, you lose your, your cool. You, you can't believe some of the things that are happening and, um, absolutely horrific. But then you also, you, you see the ranchers that have their operations, multi-generation operations, and they are seeing dead bodies, their children. They don't allow their kids to play outside anymore. Uh, many homeowners and ranchers will leave food and water um, on their driveways. And that's kind of the code of if I leave something out for you as you're passing through, you'll leave me alone instead of breaking into my house. Um, uh, it, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. It, it's absolutely a crisis of epic proportions, but it's going to take a change in administrations and leadership in Washington. And uh, we can't get there soon enough. Well, you said uh, you said it all right there. And here's the other thing. It, you know, we got a whole list of things here that are coming through that people like to chat with you about. And of course, uh, I got it. I got to agree with uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, that uh, that Supreme Court institution has now been permanently damaged. Um, I see now where there is a ramped up real super attempt to get to the bottom of who did it. Um, but uh, anything on the ground there that gives us any uh, any kind of glimpse into what that was, it was done deliberately, I'm sure, to to set about the undermining of that institution, which. They've tried to court pack. They've tried to you know, do one thing after another. So I, I just thought since you're there in the halls and things, and maybe you got a take on that, Kat. You know, I think what we're going to end up seeing is um, another attempt, another run at court packing by the left. That's definitely been a, um, a, a much talked about issue. And I'm proud to have signed the um, Keep the Nine pledge. I think that any attempts to pack the court are purely political and not in the best interest of, of our nation now or in the future. The thing that we are really concerned about right now is this breach of trust that has occurred uh, within the Supreme Court. And, and we know that there was a clerk. It is likely someone, um, all evidence points to a, uh, one of Sotomayor's clerks. Um, and that breach of trust fully undermines over 200 years of precedent, trust within the institution. And, and that is really heartbreaking. Um, and again, it was done in the name of a political outcome. And I, I just, 
I think it's so dangerous when we start talking about packing the court, when we start targeting individuals, you see what is happening with um, Alito and all the other justices, their homes constantly um, being picketed and protested. And it, it, it's awful. We need to get back to being Americans and stop letting the crazy liberal leftist media create this hysteria that is out there because people have absolutely lost their minds. It's crazy. I, I, I was uh, sharing earlier this morning that I got off the airport uh, or out of, off the airplane and in the airport earlier this week. And um, immediately someone on my plane throws a cell phone in my face, starts yelling in my ear for about 10 minutes and uh, screaming about, uh, you know, uh, gun control and how, you know, Republicans and conservatives, um, they, they, they are against gun control and how evil we are. And I mean, just screaming in my ear to the point that actually another liberal came to my defense and said, you're just doing this to get attention and clicks. And, you know, I don't agree with Congresswoman Kamak, but at least have some damn respect. And, you know, I thought that was pretty crazy. So, I mean, it, we have absolutely gone into uh, clown world here, and uh, we're going to need some very strong principled people to bring us back from the brink. You know, the problem with this whole culture in which this conversation is taken care of is that group that we've been alluding to, led by its uh, vacant man upstairs, uh, Mr. Joe, Uncle Joe, who says, well, the Second Amendment's not really the Second Amendment. Can you believe it? I mean... It, it, it coming irrationally and spontaneously in a new, I need respect for the, for the Constitution or the due process. And we get that repeatedly, repeatedly out of him. Um, you know, it's very damaging. And I'm sure you have uh, driven to the edge of, um, uh, well, the window, I think, is on the first floor where you are. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I. I, I and I think his his issues point to a much bigger problem we experience in the country today. We, of course, know that um, Biden has some mental deficiencies. Um, my my guess would be early onset of dementia. I've talked to colleagues who have been to the White House recently and meet and met with him, and they come back and they say, "Oh, you know, he has to have cue cards for." simple one-on-one -on -one meetings. He needs to have pictures of people, even though I've known him for years, you know, things like that, that kind of glassy eyed look, you know, the kind of just confusion. And, and I have to constantly come back to take the politics out of it and, and look at this from just a humanity standpoint. If you were that individual's family, why would you put someone through that? That is not a loving position to take. And it makes me really question um, Jill and the rest of the Biden family that they're, they're having him continue to move forward because it's just, it is clear that he, I mean, for God's sake, the man's taking cues from the Easter Bunny and shaking hands with invisible people on stage. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> not just that. It's dangerous. It is dangerous for the United States when you have a so-called commander-in-chief who is not all there. And um, so I'm, I, I really do have concerns from both a, you know, a, a humanitarian standpoint, but also from a national security standpoint. And um, it is, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But you talk about all the things that, 
that he does or doesn't do. I mean, that's reflected in in his administration. You know, you you saw Janet Yellen the other day, uh, you know, had said or earlier in the year said, you know, inflation was going to be transitory. Now she comes back over the weekend and says, I was wrong, which I was stunned to even hear that omission. But then says, we've got a real problem with inflation. Of course, the, the baby formula crisis, we saw how that was building and building and truly a creation within the administration. The, his own FDA shut down the nation's largest baby manufacturer, formula manufacturer, who produces nearly 43% of, of uh, baby formula in the nation. And they didn't make a plan to backfill that formula. No easing of regulations, no ramping up at other plants, no dropping of tariffs, nothing. And so they expect what? Parents weren't going to miss nearly half of the baby formula in the nation going missing? I mean, they they can't pretend to be shocked at the end of the day. And they, they still seem to struggle with wrapping their head around the fact that Americans, Republicans, Democrats, independents, or no matter what party affiliation, they still are stunned that people collectively are angry. And it's because they are so insulated, so out of touch with everyday American people, and they're so hell-bent on this political agenda of dependency and control that they can't see the forest through the trees. It's truly dangerous and very sad. You know, we just read a report here. Maybe you can help us uh, for the the, uh, uh, impact of it as to what's true or not. A lot of the minority workers evidently in the White House have become frustrated and quit because of the way they're treated and there are no chances of much advancement. They seems to echo what you were saying, that the circle around him is so tight that um, nobody really penetrates it unless there's some sort of old school relationship with him. Um, any truth to that? I just read that, I believe, in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago. You know, I, I can't really speak too much to the dynamic within the White House other than what we know publicly, which is that uh, Vice President Harris and her office has seen more turnover than any other administration in history. Um, and that leadership, of course, as we know, that comes from the top. So uh, working for her, is, I, I think I would rather engage in Chinese torture uh, than work in her office. I tell you, it's just, it's, it's terrifying that this, this person is second in command. But then, of course, within the White House, you're dealing with someone who really doesn't know what's going on. So you have to, you have to almost sense, get the sense that some of these staffers, advance the, you know, advanced workers, meaning, you know, people who go ahead and advance events and, and things like that, people who are, you know, staffing the president and vice versa, they probably feel at times like um, home healthcare workers or uh, feel like nurses or babysitters because they're, they're having to explain very basic things of stand here, go here. Oh, no, 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 no. Stay focused. Okay. We're going to go here now. I mean, that's not what you sign up for when you, when you uh, land a job in the white house, you're going to be doing heavy, hard policy and, you know, solving the nation's problems. Instead, their problems of the day are making sure that the Easter Bunny is getting Joe where he needs to go and making sure that he's exiting the stage at the right side. And, I mean, no wonder people are leaving in droves. Call the representative Kat Kamek here. We have about five more minutes with our representative. She's always very 
informative and entertaining and has a great sense of humor. You almost have to have one to survive there, I suspect, Kat. Um, anything going on in the agricultural world that you can give us some good news on? As you know, you're from around here. We're being pinched in this <laughs> rural world um, by the cost of uh, fertilizer, the cost of diesel, um, you know, then the low cattle prices. Uh, I, and then we got a little bit of a drought here going on in north central Florida. We don't really have our traditional rainfall just right now. Uh, and I know you're close to the heartbeat of the of the rural people. How, how are they faring there in D.C.? Well, you know, I think much like the rest of, of industry across America, ag is hurting. And you see the ridiculousness of this administration and what they're doing through the EPA, these onerous regulations, um, the FDA, of course, energy prices, our entire economy is built on energy. And when you have diesel prices that are through the roof, over 5 $6 a gallon, and the volatility in the market is swinging so violently from, uh, you know, one day it'll be five fifty a gallon for diesel, and the next it'll be over six sixty. Um, you can't add enough fuel surcharges to your bills as these truckers are trying to, to you know, haul loads and, and get around to make margins work. And so, you know, I sat with some of our truckers about two weeks ago here in the region, and it, it's looking pretty grim. Of course, you talk with our producers and fertilizers through the roof. You can't source it. And when you can get it, it is so expensive that really the, the input cost, when you factor in fertilizer, um, fuel, and labor, which you cannot find anywhere, it has gone through the roof. In fact, uh, there was a report that just came out, and, and this will touch on agriculture a little bit, but broadly, the sales of AI and robots in the United States has gone up 40% because of the labor challenges. You've got a government that's paying people to stay home and not work. And so, despite what the White House will say of, oh, we're going for the lowest unemployment in history. Well, they also neglect to tell you that they changed how they, they calculate that. And they also don't tell you how many people have dropped out of the workforce entirely. You couple that with what they're trying to do in reforming the tax code and making people pay more taxes. And of course, upping and reinstating a death tax, that, that spells disaster for the ag community. So we are still continuing to push for um, more production domestically. I think this is a national security issue. If you, if you cannot feed a na your own nation, you are not secure. And for a long time, people have talked about agriculture as more of a heritage issue. No, this is a national security issue. And no one produces food more efficiently, safely, uh, and, and productively than the United States. And so we have several pieces of legislation that we're working on currently to get put into next year's farm bill, which is an every five year bill that really guides the agricultural industry dictating certain rules and regulations. And uh, we think it'll be helpful in driving more of a focus on domestically produced agriculture, which is so, so important um, for so many reasons. But we've got to get the price of fuel down if we are going to have our, our ag operations compete. Um, I think all other issues really come secondary to what we're seeing with inflation and with fuel prices. Yes, and we haven't even touched on Ukraine, and we haven't even touched on really uh, the hoax of the electric car. 
I, I'm, I, I'll go on record as saying I think that's pretty, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I apologize. I, I, can't, I can't imagine the, the, the John Deere being run by an electric battery. And just to give you a little insight here, I have an electric battery steel chainsaw and the batteries have gone bad in those uh, chainsaws and we can't get any replacements. And so I've got this perfectly good um, battery. It's a nice chainsaw, but also back, have a backup gas one, uh, fortunately. But we just don't have any batteries for them. And I can imagine what will happen when this gets expanded into the automobile and we're left by the side of the road uh, with a battery problem. It, it, it's, it's never been thought through very well. I don't want to get off on that with just a minute left, but it's all tied up with this thing that Biden says, well, we'll keep the gas price high because we got the electric cars coming. I, that's another goofball thing I heard him say. I thought I heard him. Did I dream it? Oh, God. <laughs> no, you're 100% right. I mean, and, you know, I think it's, it's very fitting we're talking today, Ward, you know, it's June 1st. It's the official start of hurricane season. And I would love, and I actually have mentioned this in several of my, my Homeland Security meetings, but also on ag where they are making a huge push to try to drive electric vehicles in rural America. And I keep saying, we're trying to get broadband into parts of rural America. Yeah. And you yeah. guys are talking about putting Tesla charging stations. Give me a break. You want to talk about out of touch. But the thing that's crazy is that these people, these bureaucrats in a basement in Washington, they come testify before Congress, and these people have never set foot in rural America, never been on an operation, and of course, we're facing hurricane season. Can you imagine sitting on I-75, and we're doing an evacuation because a Cat 4 or 5 is headed our way, and oh, your battery runs out? Give me a break. How many people are going to sit at a Tesla charging station that takes 45 minutes to charge up your car so you can get to the next part where you're just going to be sitting in traffic as everyone, the whole state's evacuating. They're like, well, we really hadn't thought about that. Really? You need to tell me that those folks who are doing nothing more than trying to give uh, incentives to people to buy electric vehicles because they know that they can't do it economically any other way than using a government subsidy, they're, they're, they haven't thought about that. No, they just don't want to talk about that. That's what's frustrating. It's just, again, a lack of common sense in Washington. Take the politics out of it. I think that we are at this point, and Ward, you've heard me say this, in our country, it's not Republicans versus Democrats. It's the party of big government versus the party of little government, and that's what we're up against. I personally, I'm for the party of common sense and little government. Well, thanks so much for joining us with your very, very busy schedule. I know uh, we really appreciate you taking time out each month to uh, chat with a uh, cat. We call it chat with Cat Kamek. And um, we appreciate all the things that you're doing there. The laundry list that we went through uh, just doesn't begin to scrape the surface of things that are perplexing. So hopefully, my golly, with and we'll, we'll help you fight whatever we can do this gun hysteria. But uh, we've got to change the government. That's basically where we need to go. Anything for the good of the order before we say goodbye, Cat? The only thing I can think of right now is go Gators. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you very much, Representative Kat Kamek, for talking with the Ward Scott Files here. Uh, we'll be right back and uh, we'll continue a discussion. I'm going to delve into a little more deeply what's going on with the so-called gun issue. I've done some research. I want to run some numbers by you and ask you folks to think about it as I get back in just a moment. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. 
The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. And Cornell, known as Minnie Mike. And Cornell, wears elevator shoes. And Cornell, he just wants to be like. Once again, I've said it, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melbourne Law Studio, and uh, we're broadcasting from the Piney Woods of North Central Florida here. We just finished uh, speaking with our representative, Kat Kamek, and uh, we always appreciate uh, her taking time out of a busy schedule to talk with us and you. And uh, we uh, appreciate all the uh, comments that I see here on the chat line. I am um, going to go into a little more depth now on uh, the gun situation, particularly she said, if you're just tuning in, that this is gonna be the biggest fight it's been uh, in Washington for quite some time. And it's not just gonna be about guns, it's going to be about changing the Constitution. It's going to be about state control over your individual private life, um, the lack of freedom of choice, uh, the assumption that you're irresponsible even though you're not, and the labeling of you as a bad guy simply because of the object you hold. You know, we went through this in this nation uh, in the puritanical beginnings of Salem witch trials. Um, you want to read a great play about it, you read Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Uh, of course, you can read Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. 
um, it was well known that the flaw in Puritanism was putting the evil in the object rather than the human heart. And there's nothing changed here. Uh, we put the evil in the object rather than the human heart. It's very easy to take a look at the flaws in the logic if you say, well, it's the, it's the car that caused the wreck. No, it's the driver that drove the car that caused the wreck. It's not the alcohol that caused the behavior. It was the behavior of the person using the alcohol. And, and, and yet we have this um, reluctance to go ahead and think clearly in this country for whatever reasons. A lot of people think it has to do with the poor contributions that education makes to developing critical thinking skills and young people on up. I happen to think that's probably got a lot of truth to it. But I just want to go through a couple of things that have been said in various articles and uh, comment on them uh, a little bit with you. Um, that uh, I'm going to begin with something uh, Representative Kamek and I were just uh, discussing, and that is Biden's late, latest uh, um, bombasting thing that he's done. He had, on Wednesday, he had an executive order. This is the AP article um, that, and, and it happens to be um, on the second anniversary of George Floyd's death. Can you, can you just, can you just imagine any more uh, political heyday for a politician than that? So um, Biden takes, of course, this opportunity to say that progress, that's a magic word in our day and time, progress. You know, the problem with progress, GE used to have it as a slogan, a General Electric progress is our most important product. The problem with product uh, progress is that it has no goal, so therefore you never reach it. And you're constantly frustrated, you're constantly filled with anxiety, trying to reach a goal that doesn't have a, a goal. Progress has no goal. You must keep progressing. And of course, the flaw in that in education is you don't look back. Uh, and, and, and nothing progresses in history. It's circular. It repeats itself because the character of the people doesn't change. So there's no progression in the character of people. People are people. And the, the, the events that occur have occurred before and will occur again. So it's not a, 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 you know, a statement like this one by him where he says, I know progress can be slow and frustrating. Progress, you know, you've got to really have your critical thinking ears on to even begin to listen to that because it's a false um, statement, as, you know, when you think about it. Progress to what? Well, what do you really mean? You have to have a built-in crap detector, as my friend Don Pierce who wrote Cool Hand Luke said. Uh, you've got to be able to determine when something is just crappy uh, thinking. And this is crappy thinking. Um, you know, what are we talking about progressing? Uh, progressing what? Uh, progressing to destroy the Constitution, uh, progressing to mislabel and misunderstand and uh, um, misstate about all the issues. Um, what he really wants to do, most of his order, it turns out, according to the AP article, is to create a database to help track police officer misconduct. Uh, this is this is this is where it's going. This is what has been given. This is what's given the hysteria some legs. It's all about police officer misconduct. And in particular, we have a communist commissioner here from SACO, I think is her name, uh, on the uh, city of Gainesville commission, who also has said the same thing, I'll restrict the flow of military equipment to local police. She uh, objected back in this hysteria uh, that came about with Black Lives Matter 
uh, she came, uh, um, she said, well, we need to do away with military helicopters. We don't need helicopters. I don't know what world that woman lives in, but she absolutely said that. You can go back and check it. So we have um, Biden going after the cops, okay? And um, he's at the same time, he's saying that uh, the cops need to improve their relationship uh, with the people there, protect and serve. And what this resulted in is fewer cop recruits. It's very simple. You can't put all the onus on the human beings at a job that's very dangerous to start with, not the best paying job in the world, and then go out there and give you no tools to work with and then say that most of the bad behavior of the bad guys is a result of your inability to work with them. Uh, this is really nuts, and that's where it's coming from right now across the United States. He has said that uh, there's a deficient of trust in law enforcement in the communities they're sworn to protect. And this is Cory Booker saying this. So you've got a crowd up there which has set the tone and set the conversation on that level. So let's go examine some of the things that really have happened um, close up. Let's start with uh, 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 George Floyd, okay? Now, uh, the, all I'm sourcing everything I'm doing um, you know, it's it's uh, it's all pieces of information, and I have found that I've kept in the midnight auto yard, and have pulled out of the midnight auto yard when I thought it would be helpful for class. Um, the truth of the matter is, there's going to be heard right soon here a a case uh, uh, in this month of June. There's going to be heard a a case uh, in Minneapolis that. Um, is going to be uh, taking a look at this whole defund the police proposal. Um, this is uh, coming up and it's been brought by the frustrations of the people who have seen everything go the opposite way in um, Minneapolis. And I'm gonna give you some other direction it's gone. Um, everything has changed uh, from that instance in Minneapolis and not for the good, of course. Uh, since then, uh, the department's numbers, police numbers, since the Floyd incident, have dipped well below the minimum of 743 officers required by the city charter. The city charter requires uh, that there be a particular uh, number of police. Well, uh, in August 2020, uh, a, a man named Mr. Lundberg um, and his neighbors uh, decided to sue the city alleging that by flirting with the defund the police movement, the local government was actively causing officers to retire, quit, or take medical leave. So this is going to be coming up real soon. This case is before the Minnesota Supreme Court, where it will be heard this month. Now, here's what created this anxiety on the part of the Lundbergs. In February 2021, uh, according to our document here, uh, the... Uh, uh, Lumbergs were badly shaken by a shooting in their block where there was more than 30 rounds fired <coughs> in rapid succession. Um, the 12-year-old son of the Lumbergs went into post-traumatic stress convulsion, uh, had to be medically treated, and has not recovered from that, a trauma of 30 rounds going off in his neighborhood. Um, since that time, of course, Lumberg has moved up uh, to Plymouth, which is a western suburb of Minneapolis. They keep their house where this uh, trouble began 
Hopefully they can return to it someday. But nearly 14,000 people have moved out of Hennepin County last year uh, because of public safety concerns. Now, these are the facts, okay? This is not the rhetoric we hear Joe Biden say and these gun grabbers. These are the facts, okay? And the murder rate in Minneapolis has hit a record last year with 96 homicides. That's double the number from 2019. Uh, that increase coincides with the mass exodus from the police department, where more than 300 officers out of 825 have quit since the George Floyd incident, okay? Uh, this is just a follow-up. Now, where that uh, Speedway gas station is has become, the city bus is no longer stopped there. Um, there uh, it's a four-block area that's essentially an autonomous zone. Uh, the Speedway gas station has been trashed. It's a makeshift outdoor living room. It is um, uh, uh, a mixture of racial justice activists, residents, and local gangs vying for control of the area. Uh, it's an active protest space, and uh, it has become a very, very contentious and dangerous to be there. So uh, this is what is going on uh, since this uh, uh, George Floyd incident in Minneapolis. Uh, the city has been lost to extremism, and it's near the breaking point. Uh, Mr. Lumberg, who has this uh, suit coming before the uh, Minneapolis, um, Minnesota uh, uh, Supreme Court, uh, doesn't see himself returning to, to Minneapolis anytime soon. Uh, this was, uh, uh, Mr. Rowan wrote about this, did this research for the Wall Street Journal back in, uh, oh, sometime back in April. Now, I kept it aside because I thought someday, uh, and that, by the way, I kept aside, I think, of course, before the this horrible situation in the school shooting. Now, we had a situation in Buffalo, if you may recall, and uh, you have to, to, to understand the conditions of these cities where these shootings are taking place uh, in the northern places at any way, Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, Buffalo, New York. But I just want to focus here on Buffalo, New York. This is the focus of this article. And it has got some good research in it. It's been uh, uh, well thought out and well documented. And it's written, of course, by Jason Riley. Uh, Jason Riley uh, wrote about this way back in the middle, middle of May. I've also got another set of research. He works for the, the same institute, Brooklyn Institute, the same institute that Heather, Heather McDonald works for. So they are great researchers. Um, the, the Buffalo, New York, and you remember uh, the, the situation. There were some horrific shootings there uh, at this um, 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 store there, and um, it was um, it was uh, it made the news. And of course, it was all about uh, white supremacy, and the press played it up in that kind of pageantry. Played the race card. In other words, the press turned this into the race card. Biden piled on to this. But meanwhile, Jason Riley, who is black, uh, points out that when a black driver with a history of posting anti-white screeds on social media. Remember, he plowed his vehicle through a parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Waukesha, Wisconsin, I think it said. Uh, he killed six white people, and the press didn't even um, mention it, and Biden never went there. But he, Biden, of course, went to Buffalo, where uh, it was supposed to have white supremacists. He made political hay out of that. 
but he didn't go to Waukesha, Wisconsin. I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. I know I've got a couple of viewers from Wisconsin here who will say it right for me. But Buffalo is really a mess, like a lot of these cities are. Its population peaked in 1950. It's fallen steadily since the 70s. It was once an uh, industrial powerhouse. It's the third poorest city of its size in the country. Well, it has more than one in three residents on food stamps. Uh, three quarters of the city's public school children qualify for free or reduced lunches. And between 2019 and 2020, the murders in Buffalo rose by 30% nationwide, but in Buffalo, they rose 34%. So in 2020, there were 100 more shooting victims than the city had averaged over the previous decade. Where is Uncle Joe Biden during all this? Where is uh, the government talking about the decay of the cities? Uh, where These are Democrat-controlled cities. Um, it's no secret who runs these places. Um, meanwhile, uh, they were quick to describe white supremacists, uh, put that in the Buffalo News. But Jason Riley Black himself says the problem in Buffalo is hardly about white supremacy. Buffalo has a black mayor serving his fifth consecutive four-year term. The leader of the city council and the school superintendent are black. Uh, the man who served as police commissioner from 2018 until his retirement this year, earlier, black. Um, the, the Buffalo's black underclass, however, has gotten poorer under the directions of its black politicians. We have been talking about this theme for a long time on the Ward Scott Files. Occasionally we get labeled the racist for talking about it. That's fine. Uh, we look at it here. We know that black loan fraud, for example, in this community goes absolutely un, uh, undisciplined. Uh, we know the people who did it. We know uh, the money was never paid back. We know who they are. Um, we've got a situation where black politicians uh, rip off their own people. One of the things I've never really seen anywhere else ever written about George Floyd is something I pointed out, and I am the only one I know of who ever pointed it out. Let me go back with you and retrace this for you. The young man behind the counter, the cashier uh, there in the food store in Minneapolis was black. George Floyd, when the young man looked at him, was so big and so athletic looking that the young boy practically hero worked him right away. Thought he must be a pro athlete. Asked him if he were a pro athlete. Floyd mumbled something about being a baseball player. So the kid's starry eyed. He's looking at this fellow and he realizes this is quite a human being. He must be a pro athlete. And then the fellow after a while buys, I can't remember what he bought, it wasn't much, with a $20 bill that turns out to be counterfeit. So the Floyd exits the store and goes out to his car with one of his buddies who's black. And the owner of the store, who's always from the Middle East, it uh, seems like, comes along and tells the young cashier, uh, we're going to dock your pay $20 because you took that $20 bill without asking this man or uh, examining that bill. Uh, so, you know, you go outside and collect good $20 from him and we won't dock you. So this young man goes out to the car, which Floyd is sitting in. Now, mind you, all these characters are black. And he goes to the door of the car and he says to the gentleman's 
uh, one sitting there with Floyd. Uh, would you guys please help me this? Uh, this bill's no good. The people, Floyd and his, his, his companion, uh, take the $20 bill, tear it up, and throw it on the ground at the foot of the kid. There you are. There you are. There you are. It's black, ripping off black. Never been written about. Never been talked about. Never been pointed out. And you can say, oh, that's just one. No, that's the core of the problem. That's the core of the very core of the problem. Electing people who share your race or ethnicity is no guarantee that they're going to act in your best interest. When are we going to understand that? It's ruining the school system. Let me repeat this. This is Jason Riley. Electing people who share your race or ethnicity is no guarantee they will act in your best interest. Absolutely none. Now, meanwhile, the cities have become more progressive. Uh, the Buffalo is more screwed up. The Minneapolis is more screwed up. The Chicago's more screwed up. I mean, come on. Let me, just, let me just talk to you a moment about Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. I mean, you know, people's eyes are glazed over. They don't even, they don't even think about it anymore. They don't even think about it. Let me just go through some statistics. With more Memorial Day weekend in Chicago, okay? 44 people were shot in Chicago Memorial Day weekend, including eight fatally. Now, they've actually got these things kind of cataloged, and this came out of the Chicago Tribune. Now, they haven't caught anybody who did this. Absolutely none. I'll just go through this kind of quickly with you. Right. Uh, 10, 15 p.m., a group of gunmen approached a man and a woman, opened fire. A uh, 34-year-old man sitting inside a parked car was hit in the neck. 31-year-old woman was standing near the car, hitting the elbow, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, at approximately 10-19, a 42-year-old man traveling a vehicle encountered several vehicles, a group of people. He tried to pass through this group of people. He got shot. At a group of people blocking the street in Chicago, he tried to pass through the street, uh, through the group, and they shot him. Okay. Saturday, a 56-year-old man standing outside a 500 block of North Laverne, 3.32 a.m., he's shot by a guy just riding by an SUV. It goes on and on and on. That's just Saturday. Sunday, a 31-year-old man was driving a 2100 block of West Coulter, 1245 a.m. Hey, he, he just drives down the road. His, shot, his hand gets grazed by gunfire. Come on, come on, come on. It goes on. There's three pages of these people listed individually. Individually. Monday. We have to Monday now. This is Memorial Day, I guess. In the 5100 block of South Peria, Prairie, a 40-year-old woman was traveling in her vehicle and she was shot by an unknown individual in another vehicle. The woman sustained two gunshot wounds to the head and was said to be in critical condition at the University of Chicago Medical Center. A 32-year-old woman was shot during an attempted robbery at approximately 12.01 a.m. This is too ironic. In Martin Luther King Drive, 
The 32-year-old man was outside when he was approached by an unknown male offender armed with a, with a handgun. The suspect demanded the victim's bag. He refused to comply, so the guy shot him. Chicago. This is Chicago. I got another page of this crap. Huh? I will assure you, every one of those guns, I, I, you know, they can't find the offenders, by the way, were illegally obtained. Chicago's got some of the toughest gun laws in the country. Come on. Come on, wake up, people. Wake up. I'm going to conclude once again with Jason Riley. I think I don't have time here. I got uh, about four minutes. Jason Riley wrote just yesterday. Well, just today. This came out today. That the perception is vastly different from the reality of these school shootings. Um, the data shows that. Most gun-related deaths, 54% in 2020, are suicides. Mass shooting casualties are less than 1% of all gun deaths. There have been 13 mass school shootings since 1966. There are 400 million guns in circulation in the U.S. Correlation is not causation. A causal relationship between changes in gun ownership rates and changes in the level of school violence does not exist. Furthermore, gun ownership rates in rural areas are much higher than in urban areas, but much safer. Whites own firearms at much higher rates than blacks or Hispanics, yet gun violence among the latter two groups is much more commonplace than it is among whites. And lower levels of gun possession don't necessarily translate in the lower levels of gun violence. Low-income blacks are the most frequent victims of violent crime in this country from other blacks. There you are. There you are. And we're going to go up there and have a pissing contest about this in Washington, D.C., fueled by people who don't a damn clue what they're talking about. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.